Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. What's up? It's Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We appreciate you joining us for the next three hours. You can share your thoughts and comments. Get involved in the show by texting the Garage Door Guru text line 704-570-9610. I'm excited about the show today. We got some interesting questions we're going to pose for you guys to answer on the text line. We also have the Caleb Love news that came in yesterday. Frank Reich actually just spoke about 30 minutes ago down at the coaches meeting. Darren Gant was tweeting some of those comments out. And Wes seems to be, at least in the pre-show meeting, changing his mind at the possibilities of what the Panthers could be doing at number one overall. You're going to have to stay tuned and figure out what Wes's new opinion might be, or at least the possibility (laughs) of it happening. You're going to have to stay tuned for that. We appreciate you joining us once again here on Sports Raider 92.7 WFNZ. Bus driver, little country, let's just get it off and pop in immediately because I do have a question I want to get started with. So go ahead, Fiddy, open up the doors. Let's get off the bus. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! Let's lead off with Caleb Love finally deciding to enter the transfer portal. We could all somewhat see it coming. I don't know if anybody was going with 100% confirmation. There was still that belief that, okay, maybe he could come back. Maybe Hubert Davis would welcome him back to some degree and Caleb wants to stay. But in the end, he said in his statement that he and his family decided it was best for him to move on and that he appreciates his time at Carolina. Clearly a really complicated legacy with nothing really to do off of the court. It's just everything that he did and accomplished on the court. The dude ended Coach K's career. He hit one of the biggest shots in Carolina history. You could argue number one if you wanted to. Michael Jordan's championship shot against Georgetown, probably number one. But I'd put Caleb Love's shot second, even ahead of Luke May's shot to get past Kentucky to go on to the Final Four. So Caleb Love having that moment, and also a good tournament, by the way. Like, I think that gets overlooked because of the shot. But remember his UCLA performance was also amazing as well. The guy was good in that tournament tournament run until you got to Kansas and the championship game he just couldn't give you that cherry on top but at the same time what's the stat fitty what's the stat of him missing more shots than anybody in power five over the last what three years is that right yeah that's what uh, Brian Ives tweeted out yesterday <laughs> so and that's much. the best way to define who he was he was the guy willing to take the big shot but he was also the guy willing to miss more shots than any power five player in the country. That's who Caleb Love is. All right, so let's lead off with this question. You can text us 704-570-9610. When it comes to athletic figures in the Carolinas, and maybe even a little bit further than that, who are the sports pl- who are the, who are the sports players? Good God, I do a sports show. I sound like I'm the worst host <laughs> of all time. Who are the players that you feel have the most complicated legacies as it pertains to on the field slash court? Not off the field issues. I'm not trying to get weird in here. Let's not bring anything else like that. I'm just saying as far as the Caleb Love All-Stars, as Historic Hoggard put it as he was exiting the studio, who are the Caleb Love All-Stars with complicated legacies? Wes, do you want to lead us off with somebody that might come to mind? 
Uh, we talked about in the in the pre-show just before we got started. We brought up some guys like uh, Alonzo Mourning and how he played here, how dominant he was. And another one, too, is kind of Larry Johnson, though. As much as I loved him, I wonder what people think about that because of the fact that, I mean, he couldn't turn down that bag that he got from New York. But then it's like well, in his some package, people might complain about loyalty. No, well, Larry Johnson... I did a, for the 30th Hornets anniversary a few years back, we're almost at the 35th. Mm-hmm. So during that anniversary, I came up with my top 30 Hornets list of all time. And one of the angriest fans were with me was the fact that I put Alonzo ahead of Larry Johnson on the all-time Hornets list. I had Alonzo, mm. I had Alonzo three, or excuse me, I had Larry Johnson third and I had Le- and Alonzo Mourning second. And it, you know, it was tough. But Alonzo was just so dominant those three years that he was here, even if it wasn't the longevity, then LJ suffered the back issues. But at least for fans, people are all about Larry Johnson. Like they welcome him way more so. And and I think they realize that it was more so the organization that has tainted that relationship between those two where Alonzo just wanted out. Alonzo and LJ butted heads. The Hornets gave LJ the bag. And then Alonzo said, okay, I'm out. I want to go to Miami. And now there are some people that would say, well, okay, that was because of the Hornets organization too. But Alonzo was not happy with it. And so I think that's why his compli- uh, his legacy is a little bit complicated. Uh, somebody said, nah, dog. Caleb Love off of the court really also was a problem here too. So, or we said we're not talking about. Well, I, I know, but also, how how true is that off of the court stuff, right? Because Armando Baycott did quote tweet Caleb Love and called him a legend. There are other Carolina players in that locker room that also came to the defense of Caleb Love. Fitty, how much is there any power to that being true that Caleb Love off of the court was a real problem and he had to go because of it? Um, you know, I think when you look at the surface of it, I mean, this was a guy that did admit that he didn't play hard. You know, and, and a loss to Notre Dame a year ago. So, like, I'll focus on that standpoint. I think the problem that we Carolina fans had with Caleb Love was that he never just seemed emotionally invested in the program. And that doesn't sit well with us because that's that's what's expected when you put on that uniform, when you walk out, out that tunnel and play on that court. So, I'm not going to get into the other stuff. That has been alleged about him well, because and, that's and they, not... And they squashed it. At least R.J. Davis and Caleb yeah. Love, as far as the love interest, the mutual quote-unquote love interest, that mm. was squashed. And the real story came out, and then that kind of got done, and then we just went right back to, oh, this is a problem on the court again. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I, I just think, you know, look, he was just a guy that was disconnected, I think, from the university as a whole, from his teammates and his coaching staff, for all but a six-week period where he led the team to a national title game. That's why his legacy is so complex. Yeah, we're getting some more text. 704-570-9610. Some people will say Cam Newton. I was just thinking that. I I think more so people love Cam. I mean, the, what, what is the controversy as far as it is on the field? Moose said some people will say Cam due to not co- uh, recovering the fumble. Man, I, I think his greatness greatly outweighs him not being able to fall on that football due to lack of effort or positioning or whatever you want to say. Um, I don't know if I go I think camp. it depends who you ask because I think that, too, the fact that you got such a small bit of Cam, like, in his prime at the height of his powers where he was just dominant and then it just kind of went away quickly because, uh, you know, I worked – with a Panthers fan and I brought up uh, Cam Newton uh, I forgot when we were talking about Anthony Richardson and he was kind of like wow, Cam like 
So I, I do, I would agree that I think he does. And then I think, well, we're not talking off the field, which Cam never did anything off the field. But I think a lot of his style and the way he carried himself was off-putting to a portion of the fan base as well. I'm sure. I kind of roll my eyes at that, but sure, I Me guess you're too, right but about I it. I think that that is uh, true, though. Uh, so I could see that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Rashad McCants is a great one. Myron Goodman came in with a few Tar Heels. So, one, he did say Larry Johnson, but he also said Joseph Forte and Rashad McCants. Rashad McCants, now, okay, I feel like when I say off-the-field issues, I don't want, I guess I'm just not wanting to talk about any jail time or any legal troubles. And Rashad didn't have any legal troubles as far as that goes. But, boy, I'll tell you, it's still among the loudest booze I've ever heard in my life when the big three was in town and Rashad McCants was playing in the big three tournament yeah. and I went over there to watch that in the Spectrum Center and Rashad McCants was introduced I'm telling I'm telling you everybody booed that guy Tar Heel fans cannot stand Rashad McCants and the dude was awesome <laughs> like he was so much fun to watch for the Tar Heels hit a big three in that 05 championship game to beat Illinois and get Roy Williams his first championship yeah Rashad McCants is a great one. Joe Forte, I don't really feel like it. You brought that up kind of. Colin didn't necessarily understand it either, Fiddy. Why would you go with Joseph Forte possibly having that? You know, I, I had the chance to interview him on my podcast roughly two, two and a half years ago, and you got to realize that ever since his time at Carolina came to an end, he's never been back. And so I, I would, I would have, you know, a lot of that was, yes, Matt Doherty driven, Matt Doherty esque, mm-hmm. but Matt Doherty also goes back to Carolina. He goes to, to games in the Smith Center. So I think the way that Forte left and how he was just a flame out in the NBA, and then you look at what happened to the program after him, I think a lot of Carolina basketball fans point the finger at him as to why they suffered an 8 and 20, 19 and 16 years after his two years leaving. Uh, talking about Caleb Love, nine, 910 number said, Walker, them St. Louis cats, different, my man. I, I, look, I know St. Louis. <laughs> I get it, right? I don't think we saw anything as far as that goes pertaining to Caleb Love, though. Another one I had, Julius Peppers, not anymore, but I think at the time, when Julius Peppers was leaving Chicago, remember the or was leaving for Chicago. Remember the narrative about Julius Peppers being that he took plays off, yeah. that he didn't yeah. have 100% motor. But Panthers fans were kind of mad at Julius, and I never even got it then because the dude wanted a change of scenery. The guy had grew up in North Carolina. Yeah, my fans he don't want to hear that. No, and I got you. But Julius, at the time, I don't think so anymore, though. Like, I, I definitely don't think Fans so anymore. Fans forgive over time. Mm-hmm. 100%. Uh, Christian Leitner. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how complicated that is for Duke fans. That's yeah, just like I a normal sports one. Yeah, No, it may, maybe for uh, maybe for everybody else involved. So, we talked about that. Another Panthers one I have. What about Josh Norman? Because it's not like there was anything people hated him for. But you talk about longevity. He gave us one absolutely sensational year on a remarkable run to the Super Bowl. But then it's almost like it's not his fault that it's complicated because it's Dave Gettleman, who a lot of people turned sour on big time as his tenure went on. Josh Norman wanted to be a Panther. Dave Gettleman said, nope, too late when he rescinded the franchise tag. He only gave us one year. He was always a training camp MVP, but didn't show up the first few years. I I don't think it's complicated. I'm just throwing it out there to the fans to see or the listeners to see what they think. Another one as well that I'll throw in before we go to break is Jake DeLone. I mean, Jake DeLone took the Panthers to the playoffs. He had some massive games, took them to the Super Bowl, but then he had a lot of games where he drove Panthers fans mad with all the interceptions and the the Cardinals game. I think that's a lot like Julius in the sense that at the very end, 
people were ready to move on yeah. <laughs> after he turned it over a million times. But I st- now people people love him. Like yeah. it it took. But maybe, I think when you talk about the play on the field, what people think about him, I think it is a little bit complicated. We got a great one here from a two hundred one and Toby who both wrote in D'Angelo Williams. That's a great one. Yeah. I, I mean, and and even with the just the reaction, the the mood, the energy, the vibes towards the Panthers organization, D'Angelo Williams is certainly a great one. We have to go to break, but we'll try to read some of these on the other side as well. Then we got to get to Frank Reich's comments during the coaches meeting. He talked about pro days, talked about how they were more for confirmation. Was there anything new to be gained from last week during the Panthers tour of pro days? We'll come to it next on Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We appreciate you joining us today. Wanted to remind you about Charlotte FC. Major League Soccer is now in season in the WFNZ. Jack Daniels Doghouse is open for business. The Doghouse doors will open up three hours before every home match. So stop by and get ready for kickoff with some of your favorite friends. Join us for the pregame and the postgame parties at the Jack Daniels Doghouse. Coming to you live from the Audi Charlotte studio and brought to you by not only Jack Daniels, but Pepsi and powered by the Garage Door Guru text line. Only from Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, the exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan. Speaking of the Garage Door Guru text line, let's head over there right now where you can text 704-570-9610. We were talking about complicated legacies. And I guess some of this can be off of the field or court stuff, but I just don't want any of the legal stuff, right? Because that's, I'm not trying to talk about that. Like Greg Hardy, no, I'm not really about to talk about Greg Hardy, complicated legacy things. A couple of the texts that came in, 704 number put in John Casey. That's a pretty good one. That's a really good one. Well, and it's because the most memorable moment for him, unfortunately, is him kicking it out of the ba- out of bounds to set up Tom Brady with a shorter field yep. to then set New England up for a game-winning field goal. But John Casey clearly meant way more to the organization with all of the positives. He oftentimes is defined more so by that one moment. So John Casey's a great one. That was the only one we got from that 704 number. Um, Jackson wrote in Gordon Hayward, which I don't know how much we're going to think about Gordon Hayward yeah. in, in future years, but the guy's good when he plays. He also doesn't play a whole lot. A lot of people also didn't like the contract when it was given to him, but it doesn't make him a bad basketball player. So that's it's a pretty good one, honestly, if you start to think about it a little bit more. Um, Brian wrote in, is Nick Batum a good name for a complicated legacy, or is it just straight-up hate for him? It's straight-up hate. It is, and I don't think people care enough about him to do so. But they care enough to hate him. I'm saying right now, man, Hornets fans can't oh, yeah, stand yeah. that guy. Oh, okay, no, no. yeah. Hornets fans, <laughs> if you were to if you were to come up with a list of most hated Hornets of all yeah, time, he'd be on there. He would be, and I I hate that because he was awesome in 2016, and there were a lot of people that were okay with paying him the max. I mean, we can go back and look. Like, Dallas was going to give him the max, and then Charlotte got close enough to where it still defines as the max, and then didn't do anything afterwards. What about then it got real bad? What about Kemba? Kimba was coming. No, people love him. Well, I'm saying if you think about like when you talk about complicated legacies, though, it's like, yeah, he put up a lot of numbers, but he really didn't play on many relevant teams as far as 
getting to the playoffs or doing much like some people might choose to look at him as a really good player on bad teams that was just putting up numbers. I think people more so blame the organization for not putting enough talent around him. I think people get it. I think people understand that Kimba probably isn't going to be the best player for any other franchise, but given the lack of historic presence that the Hornets have, Kimba is our guy, and he's uniquely our guy. And so most people love him for getting to multiple All-Stars, which is no small feat. I, I don't think he's complicated. I think there's well, not a person And when gonna, I'm saying complicated, I don't mean people to hate him, but it's like when you think about, at the end of the day, like I said, legacy, it's like I feel like he doesn't have the reverence that the Hornets from the 90s did. Like whether you talk about Zoe or LJ or some of those guys, like when people talk about Kimba Walker, it's not like, oh, man, Kimba, he was just something else for us, and we just love him. He was unbelievable. It's people like, yeah, man, he was a really good player. He, he could, you know, get buckets, but it's not like people hold him in high reverence, like in that pantheon. No, I think like they, you would talk about. I think they do, though, for the Hornets. I think they do. Like, I think most people would say Kimba is the best Hornet of all time. Now, doesn't mean that he was the best player, but Alonzo didn't play long enough, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, he played three years. LJ played five. But see, I, but this is the thing too. I look at when I talk about reverence, like people still wear those jerseys. People still talk about those guys in high regard. Like but that's Zoe more might a, not have played long, but people still wear the jerseys. People still talk about these guys in a legendary fashion. With Kimba, I just I don't see people 15, 20 years from now wearing Kimba Walker jerseys to the game. I just don't see it. Uh, I think they will. I think they will. I think most I people. Know. You hardly see them now. Oh no, you. You don't see a lot of Kimba jerseys at the at the game. Well, I don't know how many you, you see, see. Dale, you see Zoe, you see LJ, you thing, see Melo. You you say you say Zoe. Keep counting because honestly, I see a lot of LJ. And if you go to the Jordan team store, maybe I'm wrong, but I man, I don't really see a whole lot of Zoe. I'm like, just I saying see, you're right about LJ and Muggsy. As far as that represented a classic time mm-hmm. in Hornets history. Where, okay, that team won a playoff series. Right. So that represented, a, and, and Muggsy's a novelty. Like, Muggsy was really Muggsy good. as well, yeah. Muggsy was really good as a mm-hmm. 5-3 guy. Wasn't better than Kimba Walker by any stretch. Yeah. You know, but but Muggsy was a really good player. Del Curry was sixth man of the year. Yeah. But he wasn't as good as Kimba Walker as a player. I get it. I'm just saying working 41 games in that arena last year, I did not see a lot of people wearing Kimba Walker jerseys. Yeah, that's surprising. Um, 704 numbers, a couple of them are riding in. Uh, people wear those 90s jerseys because of the nostalgia. Like, yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, I, I still think Kimba would be the best Hornet in its team's history given longevity. No, I, and I, that's what I'm telling you. Like, I agree with you on that as far as stats-wise and what he did, but I'm just saying reverence and saying a complicated legacy to where, yes, he was a fantastic player for the Hornets, but do the fans really remember him with that reverence like they will some others? Like, I think if Melo plays here eight, nine years, I think that he stands a chance to be Well, held that's in that true, regard. 100%. So that's what I'm saying, yeah. No, with LaMelo, yes, clearly, LaMelo has a chance to pass Kimba, pass everybody as as that, and so th- there's no arguing that. Michael Wimby. Michael, yeah, well, yeah, let's hopefully, <laughs> come on, knock on wood. Um... Michael Jordan also just with the ownership stuff, you know, Michael, I guess. Oh, yeah. I, I, you, but would you, that qualifies off the court? Well, the the thing about Michael is he's he's done too much. Nobody, you might hate what he did with the Hornets, but yeah. you might be wearing his shoes while you hate him. You know All what I'm right. saying? Like, it's, Michael did way too much good <laughs> for, for, for that to carry any weight whatsoever on Michael's legacy. We all we are all, all going to remember what he did as a player. Let's talk about Frank Reich's comments at the coaches meeting that they're having. Darren Gant wrote a couple of those that you can find on Twitter on his profile. 
and he talked about the pro day tour that the entire Panthers brass just took last week where you go see CJ Stroud. Same thing with Bryce Young the next day, even that night, I should say, where they had a dinner with Bryce Young. And they also met with Will Levis, as did the Raiders organization. So Frank Reich talking with Darren Gant. Darren Gant said that the pro days, they were more so about confirmation than gaining a whole lot of new things as to, okay, now our board is shuffling because of what these guys did on their pro day. What do you think was new to be gained here in these pro days? Or do you think anything um, new? Do you think there was anything new to be gained? Um, yeah, I would agree. Like what Frank Reich said, as far as it being confirmation, I think the most important pro day out of all of them was pro- is probably going to be Anthony Richardson's because I really think they want to see what he's got from a passing perspective uh, to see if he looks a little bit better maybe than what they've seen on tape at times because I'm sure with that completion percentage, they've probably seen some bad habits. Of course, they said receivers drop balls and things of that nature. But I think as far as just guys showcasing their talent, as I said, I think it is just a supplement to what they've seen on tape. And, you know, I think the pro days are important. But, I mean, I can't remember a lot of bad reports about guys' Uh, pro days right. over the years, period, especially quarterbacks. Like, I can't remember too many where people are like, oh, it wasn't good. It was bad. You so, know what I'm saying? As far as a top-tier guy that was supposed to go top 10 or top 15 or whatever the case may be. So, yeah. Set up way too well. I mean, for those guys to be successful. Yeah, and they rehearsed it the day before. Oh, yeah. Everything. Plus, you're throwing to receivers you want to that you have rapport with. You're playing on your own home turf. said he thought that Levis got a little bit tired at the end of his workout his arm not him personally but he said because he rehearsed it the next day and some i mean the day before Mm -hmm. and some of the stuff he had in there he said he felt like his arm started to tire out towards the end one thing i thought was interesting frank reich talked about today Mm -hmm. he reiterated the value of a rookie quarterback in his contract and that's why it made them want to move up to the number one overall selection make them take that route and even so after talking about Derek carr early So when you're discussing, remember Frank Reich was talking about how Derek Carr is a good QB, but instead of trying to go after him in free agency, they decided to go up to that number one spot because of the value of a rookie quarterback contract. And that's what I'm excited about, man, because if you think about it, clearly Cam Newton is as important a Panther as there is in franchise history. The guy won MVP. He played the most important position in sports. So we don't have to argue about him compared to Steve Smith or Luke Kuechly. Cam Newton's extremely important. I think we can all settle on that ground. But the thing about that is, okay, you drafted him first overall in 2011. And then since then, you never truly invested in a rookie scale contract to go out and start for you. It's been Kyle Allen and then the and then the quick fix attempts like Bridgewater, Darnold, Baker Mayfield. You've had a few of those different answers. Carolina gets to now be involved in what the blueprint has been set really after Russell Wilson became that dude up in Seattle. And that was, what, 2012 he was drafted, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. So Seattle, when they gave Matt Flynn a big old contract, and then in training camp, they're like, wait, Russell Wilson is better. Right. (laughs) Forget that Matt Flynn mess. Like, we're going with Russell Wilson. We're going to pay him very little money and then allocate that towards the Legion of Boom, Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, 
all the other guys that made up that defense and even paying some decent enough offensive weapons. And so for me, Carolina gets to be involved in that, which we've seen that blueprint copied and pasted so many different times. That's what I'm really excited about with this number one overall pick. Well, I mean, you can't help but to be because, as you said, especially if the guy becomes you know, a hit. Just look at the Lamar Jackson situation going on right now and all the money that he stands to get and all the money that he wants. I mean, we know from looking at these teams that once the quarterback signs the deal, it really limits what you can do um, as far as your roster goes. So when you got a rookie, you got five years to basically basically spend as much as you want. You all right? Whew, them, what are the cinnamon toasted almonds or something like that that's been getting to it? Yeah, I saw it. It was funny watching Wes. That's going to be the week that ends right there. That was good. Well... <laughs> It's funny because you were you were like mad at yourself for going back to the almonds. Yeah, man, they're hard to put. <laughs> what were you eating beforehand? You just kept eating a different a different bag of the cinnamon roasted almonds or something, yeah. whatever. Yep. So you're just eating more, and now you're going back to the Mountain Dew. The almonds are rough. But yeah, you tell I, everything, don't you? Well, I mean, you're just drinking Mountain Dew. I didn't feel like you talk about snitching all the time. I just told people no, you're drinking. No, we do it. like to rat on each other on this show. No, you like to rat on me. Although, if, if the biggest secret I tell about you is that you're drinking Mountain Dew, then it's clearly this you. This is more, true. You're, That's you're a whole way, fact. You're, you're way more of a snitch than I am. 704-570-9610. I wanted to get to a couple of other texts um, because the bagel guy wrote in, Wes, your boy Jalen Car- Carter just had a pretty terrible pro day. So I guess not from a quarterback standpoint, but he's right. Jalen Carter had a bad one, especially when you're talking about him being out of shape too, showing up nine pounds overweight. And that's not even, you know, forget the off the field stuff. This Mm -hmm. is what he did on the field Mm -hmm. where he had a a bad pro day. And just going to another Kimba text, Matt and Greensboro said, Mitch Kupchak might have saved Kimba from tarnishing his own legacy as a Hornet. Imagine if he was given that max contract by the Hornets and then had the lack of production he's really had since being traded. Pretty decent point there because – That was something I thought it was the right move the entire way. As much as I loved Kimba and what he did for this team at a time where he was keeping the lights on, right? Like it was Al Jefferson making an all NBA season, which is incredible. And then it was really Kimba keeping the lights on over there. And after that, can you imagine if they gave him the contract, then he doesn't perform well? That might have. He became a jag after he left Charlotte. (laughs) He had had one all-star year. With Boston, where he was good. And then after that, just, uh, man, some of the injuries that he suffered. It just kept him from being really, really good with that Celtics franchise. Let's go to Ben Solak's comment real quickly about how this number one overall pick, even if you don't have a number one wide receiver, you still have some skill position players that are good enough for you to be able to evaluate how your number one overall pick can perform. You're not in a bad spot. You aren't. You, you have enough veteran guys, enough reliable talent around that when you draft that quarterback first overall, he's going to have the requisite pieces to develop him. It's not going to be like Justin Fields with the Bears where he's throwing to a bunch of guys that nobody knows and we're all wondering, okay, do they think this is going to work? Like This is stunting his development here. Uh, so you're going to be fine in that regard. It, it, it's a probably a, a average, maybe a little bit below average group in the league. But the main thing is that you're not hamstringing yourself with the rookie quarterback. That's the biggest box to check this season and because the veterans they've got in there they're not hamstringing themselves that's the right thing to be doing yeah love that and and i was one that was worried how they were going to attack this after they traded dj Moore away i clearly knew that there was free agency and the draft to be had but remember you were going to have to go out in free agency and really bring in some new pieces because you just traded all of your draft picks except for 39 and that's a lot to try to bank on 
39 contributing right away. Yeah. It's happened. I'm not saying it's impossible by any means. You can see that and even somewhat frequently. But I'm not banking on it. Like, I'm not putting all my eggs in that basket, getting DJ Chark, even if there's a little bit of a health scare. And by the way, just recently underwent ankle surgery. Could be ready by OTA, so just something to point out. But all intents and purposes, okay right now. Adam Thielen, even if he's older, right? Like, the, these all, all these guys have a... Uh, yeah. There's something, but <laughs> but but for the most part, it is a good group of guys that, as Ben Solak said, will not hamstring the number one overall pick. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it. Just a solid group. I love um, Hayden Hurst coming in. Like I said, we've talked about that as far as the tight end and him being able to rely on that. He's got a good route runner and Adam Thielen. He's got a guy in DJ Chark that's got size and speed that he should be able to go downfield with. He's shown he's capable of getting those 50-50 balls as has Adam Thielen. And like I said, he's got a group that he doesn't have to worry about feeding one guy that takes takes a lot less uh, off of their plate. Like you talk about uh, a rookie that the the Raiders might pick, and uh, we know they have Jimmy G, but if Jimmy G gets hurt and he has to worry about getting the ball to Devontae Adams or different things like that, it's just a group that they can come out and just play ball. The rookie can think freely back there in the pocket, find who's open, uh, and hit him. And they also supplemented him in the run game as well with Miles Sanders. So it is a good group to start with. But I do think that if they do draft the receiver at 39, you have to expect something for him to push for a starting job or for him to push for a lot of snaps because, you know, we've seen a lot of these rookies come in now and they're almost developed just like the quarterbacks. When you look at the 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 high school ranks with seven on sevens and the camps that these guys go to, they know – you know, pro route concepts. They're knowing defenses even better now. So you kind of do expect rookie wide receivers now uh, in contrast to before where it might take them a little bit of time. I would think the guy you you pick at 39 to be one of your top three to four targeted guys and for him to produce. They certainly had that capability. We've seen it quite a bit. Even it, it was funny to see every wide receiver class be tabbed as amazing. This one, not so much. You might have some depth, but you don't have the start studded guys. They're going to be going in the yeah. first round that are can't miss prospects. So hopefully the depth can last and prove to be maybe a star at number 39. Last few texts real quickly. Casey Steve said, you guys are making me miss my purple stripe LJ jersey. Love the purple Hornets jerseys. <laughs> yeah, Loves it. Hit or miss with some, but I love the purple jerseys. 336 number said, I don't ever see Kimba jerseys when I go to games, but his jersey you can't really get anymore either. The other guys have the Mitchell and Ness retro jerseys that are on available in the team store. And then Mike B said, Wes is right. Kimba was good, but he was not a clutch player who won you a ton of games at the Spectrum Center like maybe Steph Curry does with Golden State, which, I mean, I'm not going to call him Steph Curry. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And then even as the the years went on, Kimba certainly didn't have the greatest field goal percentage in clutch moments. All right, let's go to somebody that we can call clutch. He shows up clutch every now and then. It's Fitty. The first fifty flash of the day. What you got? Every now and then. I knew mm-hmm. he was going to take that. Now, every time I show up, I show up and I'm clutch. Another team that came through in the clutch last night, the Lady Hokies, Wes. You were talking about it yesterday as we were exiting the show. You were talking about it during the break. Virginia Tech's women's, they have 
secured a spot in the women's Final Four. They beat Ohio State last night in the Seattle Region 3 Final. What did you make of that program getting back or getting to their first ever Final Four? I was excited for them. Uh, the way that they played last night, man, it was a it was a really good game. They handled Ohio State. Kitley finished with 25. She had a double-double. And then Georgia Amore, another 20-plus point game, man. So it's just a, they're a fun team to watch because you have Kitley down low. But Georgia Amore, man, I mean, she can fire that thing up from behind three. She'll hit you with the step back. She's got handles. So it was a good team. And then seeing Coach Kenny Brooks, he was the first uh, African-American uh, women's basketball coach to win the ACC tournament. And so now him taking them to the Final Four for the first time, uh, it's been tremendous. And I'm looking forward to their game uh, at Virginia Tech, man. As I said, I've gotten into women's basketball covering it for the ACC DN on all platforms, ACC Digital Network. So, uh, you know, I, I know these teams pretty well, so I've been invested. All right, we'll continue to go to analysis there. Shout out <laughs> shout out to Kyle Bailey University for making the Final Four in yesterday's evening games to see them be able to make the uh, semifinal. All right, let's come back, talk a little bit more about the campus corner where Charlotte 49ers, they won a championship. It was the CBI, but they got a championship. Unfortunately, they might be losing not not only one, but even two of their best players on the squad. We'll get to that coming up next. Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. This is the Weston Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Just, uh, we are. Another we, one you, of those wild combos. That's uh, what we, I'm saying. I think we're back. I, I don't know if we can recover from what was just said. No, we're good. The thing is, I am always going to keep my mic off when we come back. With you, it gets dicey sometimes. Anytime <laughs> that we have something going on and I turn my mic on and then we can hear something in the background, we oftentimes hear laughing and I'm always worried, so I always have to pay attention. <laughs> but you're good with me. I'm, I'm not going to worry about saying something like that on the mic. <laughs> yeah, listen, hit us up. 704-570-9610. The Garage Door Guru text line. Hit up those oh. socials. There we go. Hit up those show, socials. Uh, Wesson Walker on Twitter, WFNZ Twitter, WFNZ Instagram, and now it is time for the Campus Corner. Or today, we should probably call it the UNC Charlotte 49ers Corner. Listen. That's right. Yeah. The 49ers concluded their regular season with 22 wins this year, and they won the CBI championship. So they've got a little bit of momentum going into the offseason, but... Some guys are starting to jump ship. Ali Khalifa, Conference USA Freshman of the Year, Conference USA All-Freshman Team, six-time Conference USA Freshman of the Week, is shooting deuces to the program after averaging 12.6 boards and three assists. Well, well, yes, and then so even followed up an incredible freshman season with a very good sophomore year, too. He shot over 51%, shot 38% from three as a 6'11 big guy on almost four attempts per game. Ali Khalifa's gone, and also now it is confirmed that Bryce Williams is also going to leave the program. Mm. Hunter Bailey just put that out as far as confirmation goes. That means, Wes, Charlotte is going to be losing its top two scorers and its top two rebounders of this past season to, yes, lead them to a CBI championship. 
I can tell you, Charlotte 49er fans are not happy with the state of the basketball program right now, even ending with some momentum in the CBI to lose both of these guys. It's really unfortunate. And Wes, we've talked about Charlotte basketball, and a lot of people will do the nostalgia thing going back to Conference USA during their battles against Cincinnati. I'm not saying that is salvageable. I'm not trying to tell you we should expect those types of things anymore. But I am tired of losing the best players on the team all the time. Yeah, That happens way too often. Even with the transfer portal. Even with this being just a part of college basketball, the very fabric in what it is right now. I get it. And Jameer Young did stay three years, clearly a stud, and was going to move on to a bigger program. I'm not even mad about the Jameer Young thing. But this was happening even before the portal, Wes. Like, I can name a bunch of guys. Guys like Darian Clark, who was good, goes to USC. Mike Thorne goes to Illinois. Willie Clayton was gone. There were so many different players. Denzel Ingram, Keyshawn Woods, your boy, went to Wake Forest. If you are a good Charlotte 49er, odds are you transferred before you played your entire career there. And look, I get the transfer portal is here. But we got to hold on to some of them. Yeah. We got to hold on to some of them. And now Ali Khalifa's gone. Very weird player. Awesome to watch offensively. Can run your whole offense. You through Jokic. I, he was he's baby Jokic. He's baby <laughs> Jokic. I love watching him play. But even a guy like Bryce Williams, I'm just disappointed. Like I and I'm trying to wrestle with how much of this is just something I need to come to grips with and how much of this can be fixed. And that's the problem I'm having right now. I mean, what do you think it is? I think the program just has no juice. It's like the the facilities and, and different things like that, man. I feel like they need to just put more into the program. They don't have social media presence. There's there's nothing there with Charlotte 49ers basketball. You see, uh, even with football, when Will Healy was there, they had the club lit. They had something going. Now with Biff Pogey, he's coming in, talking big from the gate, letting people know that we're here and we're coming. And so with Charlotte 49ers basketball, you don't hear anything besides when they play. They're losing players, and I just think that Charlotte has the resources. They have the campus. They have a lot of nice things that a basketball player would want to come there and play. But for whatever reason, like I said, they do need some upgrades around there. Halton Arena, when you sit in there, the experience is just not, you know, it could use a little bit of sprucing up, so to speak. But, I mean, why do you think these guys keep leaving? Well, I mean, I think it's lack of success. I think it's also just a point where you go back to Ron Sanchez's second year at the program, and there was some real momentum. Unfortunately, that was when COVID came in and ended everything as far as a postseason tournament might be concerned. That was a team, I believe they were finished, or they were predicted to finish like second to last in the conference, 13 to 14, something like that. And Charlotte came came into the uh, Conference USA tournament uh, ranked fourth after the regular season. So that was some real momentum based off of what they were expected to finish. And then COVID came in, ended everything. And then you just have not been able to build off of that. Remember at the beginning of the season, Ron Sanchez got this team off to a very nice start. And in the end, they finished what they did, which is winning a CBI championship. So we're all just kind of confused. And I think that also lends itself to what we do with Ron Sanchez. If you want to keep them, I understand it because you at least did finish with more wins than you have in 20 years. 
that happened because of a tournament you didn't really want to be in anyway, right? Like you wanted at least the NIT, but at the same time, you ended up with more than 20 wins. You did have some nice pieces there with Khalifa and Bryce Williams, but yeah. now they're leaving. I bet he gets another year, and then I think if you underwhelm this next season, I think that's probably when he's gone, but I understand why fans are frustrated. I, I myself share all of that frustration with you. Yeah, and that leads to the next question. How much pressure will be on Ron Sanchez next season? One to ten. Give me a number of how much ten. pressure. I think it's ten. I agree with I mean, you. If you're talking about firing being the ultimate result of pressure breaking you, then ten, right? If you do not perform up to expectations, which to me, I mean, Wes, I want to get back. I want to get back not only to the NCAA tournament at some point, but I want to get back to at least the NIT. I think for Charlotte, if you get to the NIT because you don't win the conference tournament, then I'll be happy with what you did. And then hopefully we can get to a chance where we're competing for NCAA tournament uh, appearances for years to come. But yeah, like I, I it's it's been too long for this team to let you know 22 wins and that's the most we've had in 20 years that that's not what we want anymore yeah well i think they have good momentum though even though they might not have wanted to play in the cbi but i think that gives them good momentum for the offseason good vibes throughout the program they are losing uh some guys but hopefully sanchez can go out there and find some some players to get right basically man because that's what it's going to take last thing it's a hard system to play in no doubt this is virginia-esque system yeah. right and you're talking about where okay virginia might be able to get some awesome players and you're talking about tony bennett perfecting the system but even people who are not happy with bennett talk about the lack of offensive game plan so then maybe some of the higher recruits don't want to play in that system and they leave if you're talking about that with virginia who has a national championship under yeah. their belt think about what that means for a charlotte system that runs a lot of the same stuff so it's something to think about well when we return on the wes and walker show the Caesar Sportsbook has set the over-under for the Panthers. What is it? We will let you know and what we think about it when we return. This is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.